This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 390 of the Yellow Wall Pod. I'm your host Stefan Wutzko and today we have a jam-packed episode. We will talk about Borussia Dortmund's 4-3 win in Leverkusen. I'm joined by Sinan Schwarting from the Black Eagles podcast to preview the Champions League game against Besiktas and we will discuss the first competitive match of Borussia Dortmund's women's team, 8-0 drubbing of BV Brambor. For all that and more joins me Lars Pollmann, hello Lars, how are you doing? I'm glad the NFL didn't start this weekend, but next weekend. <laughs> no, they, they did start, Stefan, and I'm man enough to talk about the Patriots' defeat uh, at the hands of the Miami Dolphins, which was uh, self-inflicted, I might add. <laughs> well, that's uh, very nice for you. We will not discuss the Green Bay Packers, though. <laughs> uh, for them, apparently, the season has not started. Um, but uh, yeah, let's not... Uh, talk too much NFL, although I feel like uh, our next panelist uh, will rather do that than us two, because we have a debutant on the Yellow Report. She is a writer for Fear the Wall. Welcome to the show, Julia Poblatsky. Hello, Julia. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? And <laughs> yes, I would love to talk about the Eagles. That was a great win. Yeah. Uh, finally, a Philadelphia team that managed to beat a team from Atlanta. Yeah. We don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you also a Sixers fan or is it just... Uh... Unfortunately, I am a fan of all the Philly teams. How, how did this happen? Um, I moved to Delaware as a young kid and because my family was Germany, I had to be a fan of some American teams so I can fit it with my friends and Philly just happened regrettably, unfortunately. Right. So right now you're sitting in North Dakota, probably one of like eight people. Um, yes. But, uh, <laughs> You are also here because you are a Borussia Dortmund fan. Uh, how did that happen? <laughs> um, so, like I said, my parents are from Germany. Uh, they've lived there, immigrated to the U.S., so I had the choice between Hanover and Dortmund. And considering my entire family, dad's family lives in Dortmund, I didn't really have a choice. So that's why I'm a Dortmund fan. Fair enough. Uh, and I think uh, <laughs> if you have the choice between Han Hanover and Dortmund, I think uh, you had a better pick. Yeah, I've yeah, I picked a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so, anywho, let's move on to, uh, you know, the seven-goal thriller, if you want to call it that, against uh, Bayer Leverkusen. Dortmund were trailing three times, but in the end, they were the somewhat maybe lucky winners. I don't know uh, how you want to describe this. Now, so it was a very messy game. Uh, what are your initial takeaways? I mean, the same as always against Leverkusen. <laughs> I'm... At this point, I'm thoroughly convinced these two sides are unable to have a normal match against each other. Uh, even though, I guess, the final match day of last season wasn't too spectacular in the grand scheme of things. But typically, in looking at the number of goals scored in this fixture, it seems that Dortmund and Leverkusen are pretty well matched over the last few years, especially in these one-off uh, encounters. I think, obviously, Dortmund have a bit of an upper leg uh, against Leverkusen over the... Uh, length of an entire season but 
whenever they meet each other on the pitch, it seems like Leverkusen have some sort of attacking juice that is uh, not good for Dortmund's defense and vice versa. So I guess if if there's such a thing as a truly neutral fan, uh, that's kind of a fixture to watch. But even though this was a seven-goal thriller, as you pointed out, or as you called it, I <laughs> wouldn't necessarily say it was like a classic or one of the matches of the season, which some people have claimed because for that there were too many mistakes on both sides. Uh, Leverkusen's goals a bit too lucky in my opinion. Uh, I mean, obviously single game expected goals don't make much sense, but if you look at them in this instance, uh, Leverkusen really didn't do enough to score three goals uh, and Gregor Kobel didn't do enough to concede three goals, but you know, that's what happened. And ultimately, I think even though I guess some of the circumstances were ultimately in Dortmund's favor, with especially the penalty that Reus won off uh, Kosunu. I mean, obviously it was a penalty, but still that isn't always given as a penalty. Uh, I would say that Dortmund were deserved winners because over the balance of 90 minutes, they were the team that did more for the game, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, they were leading in possession and uh, all kinds of other funny stats. Uh, Julia, let's uh, circle back to, to the beginning. Obviously, the starting lineup uh, saw a couple of changes. We had Pongracic uh, making his debut for Dortmund and Axel Witzel rotated to the number six position. And that, I think, meant that the Hoot uh, went a little bit further up to cover the number eight position next to Bellingham. Then Marco Reus and Haaland were uh, sort of teaming up up front and with Julian Brandt in the number 10. Uh, interesting formation. Uh, I wasn't quite uh, sure what to make of it when I saw the starting lineup uh, public on Twitter, whether it was going to be a back three or back four. Um, how did you like uh, the team that Marco Rose picked initially? Yeah, so that seems to be a common trend this season that no one knows how this lineup is going to look because, frankly, the defense is its definitely a thing. Um, but I think with the pieces available, because of all the injuries, especially due to the international break, this was kind of the best you could have done. Um, I i mean, I was really impressed by Pongracic. Um, I thought he played great. Um, Witzel, I was not too impressed with. <laughs> and it would be nice if for the Champions League game, they could get someone else in there. But I don't really know who because the whole thing is a mess and the injuries are insane. So, yeah. Yeah, I discussed uh, with uh, Eric from the Neverkusen podcast in a previous pod, uh, the, the long injury list. So, um, yeah, Borussia Dortmund's midfield uh, <laughs> was a bit shaky. Um, Julia, especially the first goal uh, by Florian Witz, you had... Uh, first of all, Dortmund not really playing well out of the back, but then uh, you know the center backs also didn't really uh, close down Wirtz, whose uh, toe poke, if you will, obviously hit the inside of the post and maybe a bit lucky to score it how he scored, but he obviously had all the time and space. Uh, how <laughs> who's even to blame for this uh, in the center back pairing? Was it more on Akanji or Mong Pongracic or sort of both? not really moving in and having miscommunications. So I was actually still watching the U23 game during the first <laughs> 20 minutes of this game. So it wasn't much better. Both games at that point were going horribly. And I had like five hours of sleep and was regretting every choice I made. But <laughs> from what 
I heard or read was that apparently Pongracic and Akanji couldn't really do anything about it because the rest of the team was just letting the defense hang out to dry. And I mean, that's what I saw too when I tuned back into the game. So I think the whole defense thing was just a mess. And I mean, it's to be expected. Pongacic obviously needs a little time to adjust. I mean, we saw that with Malin. You can't just throw a new player in and expect it to drive right away. Yeah, uh, I guess that's true. Plus, uh, how did you think Dortmund started into this game, considering uh, they were very much warned about uh, Leverkusen's plan to, I guess, uh, force turnovers and then hit them on a counterattack? I mean, if they were, they hit it well. Um, there were far too many lackadaisical moments from especially Dahoud, Brandt and Guerrero, who all three of those, I guess it's not necessarily a big news item when they have a couple of giveaways that could have been avoided. And one of those led to the first goal where I would actually blame or lay the blame more so on Akanji than Pongracic, but also Witzel, because Witzel as the defensive midfield shield kind of player is supposed to be there where uh, Wirtz picked up the pace and then Akanji seemed to look at Pongracic to close down the gap which uh, from a positional standpoint didn't make much sense to me and also uh, Akanji being the senior partner in the centre-back partnership there should have taken the initiative more so than the new guy who has like two uh, practice appearances with actual Dortmund teammates and not, you know, youth players or whoever was available during uh, the international break. So it was kind of the the typical Dortmund away from home experience, uh, which we've seen both against, you know, worse teams uh, than Leverkusen and the likes of Leverkusen or uh, other teams of that caliber. And, you know, um, given... The, the easy way for Wirtz to score, I think uh, it, it felt at that point like it might be a, a long afternoon, which it didn't turn out to be uh, <laughs> ultimately because Leverkusen all, uh, made, you know, uh, errors that were similar in terms of ineptitude defensively. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, defensive ineptitude is sort of the main theme of this game. Uh, I mean, Leverkusen didn't really cover themselves in glory. Uh, what? To me, it was one of the most frustrating parts, especially of the first half, was uh, the uh, offensive ineptitude of uh, one Julian Brandt, to be honest, because uh, he was uh, very close, I think, to score, uh, but sort of tried to pass the ball on in, in one instance. I forgot which minute it was, to be honest. And, um, you know, uh, then uh, in, in another instance, he, uh, you know, I don't know, just whiffed at the ball or so. It was weird. Uh, Julia, from the parts of the first half you've seen, uh, how do you uh, rate Julian Brandt's first half performance and how would you uh, uh, say he improved uh, after the break? Uh, I'd say that was like night and day. I think he took like a Red Bull during halftime because <laughs> his first half was horrible. And then his second half was actually good. But that was like the theme with all of them. For some reason, all three players that were terrible in the first half and we were just, why are you here? Please leave. They then scored goals. And it's like, okay, maybe trash talking works because clearly it did. <laughs> yeah, Julian Brandt uh, in, in particular uh, had uh, a much better second half. I'm also for Julian, you know, let's grade him on a curve, but I thought for Julian Brandt, uh, 
standards, especially when he was pulled uh, to the back a little bit later in the game, uh, was uh, quite good there. You know, had all yeah. defensively and uh, contributed in, in that regard. And uh, when Dortmund uh, sort of pinned back Leverkusen uh, to keep possession, I, I thought he, especially in the half spaces, was quite valuable to flick the ball around. So um, in, in those yeah, regards... Sorry, no, go ahead. I was going to say the setup for his goal, like that was a nice move. I did not expect that from him based on what we saw. Like the little flick kick with his heel, like that was great. Yeah, it almost looked accidental if you ask me. But uh, Yeah, that too. But I'm going to pretend like it was on purpose so that it just is even better. <laughs> it, it, it very well might have. I mean, I cannot look uh, directly into the heads of the players. But uh, before we talk about uh, the, the equalizer, uh, which one, uh, let's talk about the other equalizer. Because um, Lars, uh, I know you always play down your uh, memory of things but um, I still think yours is better than mine maybe you can um, recall for me Sirka the last time Borussia Dortmund scored a goal like uh, they did in the 37th minute where uh, we had a cross and a header leading to a goal in this case it was Meunier and uh, Haaland teaming up Uh, very nice header too against the inside of the post yet again feel like uh, this happened quite a lot in this game Uh, last I've I've uh, caught you enough time now. Maybe there's uh, a player you remember like this uh, from, I don't know, a long time ago, maybe. Because I don't recall Dortmund scoring too many of those goals. No, I don't either. And kind of makes sense considering, A, uh, you know, Meunier, not necessarily the greatest crosser in the world. Hakimi didn't really use to, uh, you know, ping in high crosses. He was more the kind of player to uh, run towards the touchline or goal line and play a back pass um, and Guerrero obviously not the kind of dynamism that would usually put him in a position where he would you know cross the ball uh, and also Haaland really improved his uh, heading off the ball over the summer I feel uh, not only with his goal but also the assist that wasn't uh, for Bellingham uh, the timing he showed in both of those instances and a few other times, especially defensively this season, I think he's headed out uh, at least uh, five or six corners already in the Bundesliga, even if one of them came back to bite Dortmund uh, <laughs> as, on, on as Saturday, as which, which, yeah, but I wouldn't say that that was his fault necessarily. No. So uh, I, it certainly feels to me as if uh, Holland has added another thing to his already uh, impressive repertoire in that you know, you can now use him in that vein, especially when you're chasing a result, uh, which, you know, for all the shtick we give Meunier, I think one of his better qualities is actually crossing and and uh, not necessarily if you look at stats, but uh, I think every now and then you see why uh, he played at PSG and played a lot at PSG, uh, you know, despite, you know, all the shortcomings he has already showed over the uh, 14 months or so since he's been in Dortmund. Yeah, also the cross that would have been the 2-1 for Dortmund uh, that in, uh, ultimately was scored by Bellingham uh, also uh, featured a nice mini cross. Um, let's talk about this goal a little bit. Uh, Julia, <laughs> uh, do you agree with the uh, overall decision by VAR to chalk uh, off that goal for... Uh, Proceeding foul by Modahut, I think on on DRB it was, or do you think it's a bit too nitpicky in the larger context of VAR decisions? 
So I know where they're coming from, but I don't agree with it because like, yes, there was a foul. It probably should have been called, but also that foul was so far before the goal even happened that I don't think the foul had any influence on the actual goal itself. And so I feel like the VAR should implement like a time frame that like how many minutes you're allowed to go back and <laughs> check for fouls because that was crazy. And like like I compared it to uh, in volleyball where if you challenge in volleyball, if you challenge a play, you have to do it right that instant. You can't let like three more plays happen. And like it's the same in hockey. You challenge right away And the offside review in hockey is a whole other topic. But like the same thing in VAR and soccer. It's like that was no, just don't go back that far. That was dumb. And it was a nice goal. It should have stood. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, VAR should have totally uh, seen that this goal was too nice to take off. Um, also, yeah, it's it's crazy how many goals Bellingham is scoring that do not count for some reason. Uh, Lars, I want to hear your take too, because uh, it, it was an interesting one. Yeah, and I think there's two ways of looking at it, which is letter of the law and spirit of the law. Uh, the, the problem is that the letter of the law still has some level of interpretation left to it. And the, the thing for me is, uh, firstly, the, the timing context, as Julia pointed out, it was, uh, I think, uh, someone uh, clocked it at like 25 seconds uh, before the goal. Might have been a bit generous there, but still, I yeah, mean... Yeah, I think it was the, 23. Shift, yeah, they shifted... The entire play towards the other wing so that is one aspect to consider and also Leverkusen had a touch of the ball and Kosunu I think uh, failed to clear but you could still make the point uh, and for example Torsten Kino a former Bundesliga referee uh, has made the point that that would constitute a new uh, situation in which uh, the foul by Dahoud which is undeniably a foul uh, no longer uh, should be taken into account. And I certainly agree with that just because, you know, uh, 23, 25, whatever seconds, uh, that doesn't really have any bearing on what happened afterwards. And then there's the spirit of the law, which, uh, I mean, nobody in the stadium, uh, not even the player who was fouled, uh, you know, had any complaints about Dortmund's goal. They celebrated for like a minute and then suddenly, uh, just ahead of kickoff, uh, Referee Daniel Siebert puts the finger to his ear and suddenly they are looking at something that, as I said, didn't really have any kind of bearing on what actually happened later on. So uh, VAR wasn't implemented anywhere to do that. Uh, VAR was uh, created to do away with terrible mistakes that completely changed the outcome of games. And the more we've come away from that idea, the, the fewer supporters for VAR uh, are left at, at this point. I mean, uh, when when VAR first started, I was kind of uh, a supporter of the idea at least and, and uh, very much open to the idea of uh, mistakes being corrected uh, after the fact. But the way it's been handled over the, what is it now, four or five years or whatever, uh, I mean, Jesus, I don't that long? know any... I was going to say, so. it's been that many years? <laughs> At least three seasons in the Bundesliga, I think. I mean, we've uh, lost a lot of time due to VRR checking uh, five minutes, uh, like at er everything. But I, uh, Jesus Christ, I, I guess you're right. We though. have VAR at the World Cup, for example. So that's at, at least three years, and we had it uh, a bit before. So, however long it is, 
VAR certainly has lost most of uh, its supporters in, in the Bundesliga and um, yeah, me as well. I mean, there's far too many instances of, you know, someone going by the letter of the law when the spirit of the law is completely different. So uh, I think ultimately the only way VAR works, in my opinion, is if they use it for, you know, things that the referee just missed because he couldn't see it and uh, or uh, or in, in addition to offside situations which are too close to call for the human eye. That's, in my opinion, that's what it should come down to because everything else is just a huge annoyance at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree with that assessment. Also, I would, like, I guess describe myself as a theoretical proponent of VAR, but the way it's being implemented, uh, yeah... Uh, I, I struggle with it also just because, uh, you know, the joy of celebrating goals sometimes gets dampened uh, a bit. I mean, there are, there are goals where you know for sure it's a goal and you don't have to worry about VAR. But I think this was one of the rare occasions where I was 100% convinced there was nothing wrong with this goal. There was no offside, nothing. And all of a sudden it doesn't stand. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I was a bit surprised as well. But uh, I mean, in the end, Dortmund uh, also got some VAR help. Um, but before that, of course, uh, Julian Brandt uh, did sort of uh, lose a ball. Uh, I don't know to who, whether it was Demir Bay or so. And uh, uh, just before the break, Patrick Schick scored, um, which obviously was a big momentum swing if you look at that in the context of uh, uh, Dortmund's goal not being given. <laughs> it was very petty saying, well, if you want to... Uh, look at the way Marco Reus was pulled before he passed the ball to Brandt and uh, maybe you can see and spot a little foul there as well and, and chalk it off but um, yeah the um, the main criticism I guess uh, for the, for the uh, goal by Schick is simply the fact that Dortmund's backtracking uh, Restraumverteidigung if you will in German uh, it's, it's just rather sucky right now and uh, needs to improve dramatically i would say or they will be uh, leaking a ton more goals going forward but uh you yeah, we've already discussed sort of um the equalizer after half time um then of course drb again made it three to two from a, a botched well it wasn't really a botched clearance drb was maybe even a bit lucky to uh fake out a Dortmund player with a, a whiff shot and then uh, of course once again hit the inside of the post um after Leverkusen made it 3-2 and I thought Dortmund started to look a little tired, had you any belief uh, that this was going to be Dortmund's day after all? No. I was... No. <laughs> this game was... Well, it was partly like... this. It was just... This game was bonkers. I didn't really know what was going to happen. So I had a feeling that more goals were going to happen, but I didn't know in which direction. And I also felt like every time... Leverkusen went back in the lead. Dortmund was just more dejected because it's like, oh my gosh, what the heck? We just tied it. Why are we down again? But, you know, this I should have known that this game was going to have a lot more excitement because that's the trend of these two teams, apparently. Yeah, so what did you think were the factors for Dortmund, uh, you know, pushing more and more for uh, more goals coming back into this game and ultimately winning it? Can I be really petty and say it's the mentality? <laughs> you can say that. Yes. <laughs> we have this mentality. Um, no, I don't know. I think I think it's just that Dortmund 
realize that they they have offensive prowess, that they have the players that can do it, and that they just need to buckle up and actually do it and not just get in their heads and go, oh, no, we're losing again. Like, I think they just had realized and said, okay, we're going to do this. And then, you know, Holland, he just always wants to will the team to a win. So that definitely helps out a lot. Yeah, what also helped, uh, Lars, another sort of controversial moment, uh, and uh, I think Daniel Zipper didn't really cover himself in glory, it was around the 60-minute uh, mark um, when Meunier uh, fouled someone and then uh, butted heads with Florian Wirtz, but somehow uh, Erling Haaland was booked instead. Um, I'm not quite sure how Thomas Meunier survived uh, this particular moment because he already was on a yellow card and I for sure expected him to be sent off, but somehow it didn't happen. I feel like Daniel Siebert also studied his uh, little card for a long time where uh, the names he's already taken uh, standing on. Um, do you think this was a case of referee actually trying to not, you know, send someone off and uh, still show a booking? Or um, do you think it was just refer like terrible refereeing overall? Or do you think uh, it wasn't a, a warranted second yellow? I mean, the first two can be combined, I yeah, think. Yeah, um, I, I realized that those were not mutually exclusive, as I said it, but... Yes. Yeah. Um, I think it was a fairly obvious mistake not to send off uh, Meunier. Giving Wirtz a booking basically means you also have to book uh, Meunier because they both did the same thing. And I think there was a time in the Bundesliga, actually, where uh, the two players who inside, like, a Uh, kerfuffle were to be sent off which obviously they scrapped relatively quickly because it led to a couple of sending offs where nothing really happened and obviously that would have been uh, too much here but I mean if your decision is to book Wirtz then you also have to uh, give Meunier a second yellow which I think would have been warranted if not uh, if if nothing else than for the fact that uh, Meunier let an 18 year old get into his head which I mean Meunier turned 30 on Sunday I believe Uh, you know, just act like you've been there. I mean, you are uh, you are a uh, Belgium international. You are a multiple French champion, Belgian champion, whatever. I mean, uh, what, we, we can say what we want about Meunier, but he has a pretty impressive CV, so he shouldn't let a teenager get into his head so much. And I definitely think that Siebert knew that he had to book someone from Dortmund as well because, you know, it wouldn't have been... Uh, understandable why only Wirtz was going into the book and I guess Holland was the first other Dortmund player on the scene or something like that uh, and, and he just said okay uh, to appease the crowd also uh, not only Wirtz so let's give it to Holland or I, I, I'm pretty much convinced that he just wanted to book someone of Dortmund and Holland was the first in the vicinity so definitely an incorrect decision in my opinion but Holland. Uh, shouldn't necessarily be in trouble with uh, amassing yellow cards over the rest of the season. So definitely a bullet dodged for Dortmund. Yeah, totally. And uh, then, of course, uh, Dortmund were a bit lucky to uh, receive a free kick uh, on that fall on uh, Julian Brandt. And then, uh, Lars, I'll hand this over to you again. Uh, a beautiful goal by Rafael Guerrero. Um, I know it's very rare and very precious if Dortmund score a direct free kick. Did you uh, see or hear what Guerrero said after the game about uh, practicing or not practicing direct free kicks at all? Nope. Well, he said, and you can uh, listen to it on uh, 
TV, BVB, whatever it's called, uh, where he uh, sort of described that he, he used to train free kicks three or four years ago, but no longer does it. And uh, I think the, the quote is, he's now saving those for the game. <laughs> Um, so with that in mind, um, how happy are you, A, that uh, he has been uh, scoring this one and uh, B, uh, that, you know, it's probably not going to be replicated anytime soon due to the lack of training? I mean, if he scores once without training, there's no reason why he shouldn't score twice or thrice without training. Um, it, it Actually, I think it's only the second free kick Uh, I've seen uh, free kick goal of Guerreros I've seen and the first one came uh, on Portugal duty in 2016 before he signed for Dortmund in, in like a pre-Euros friendly so yeah I remember watching I us I, on, on, on YouTube and being like oh great we're signing a player that can score free kick goals What that was his very first one for Dortmund right? no it was for Portugal as I just said Stefan um, no I mean the the one in against oh this the, one yeah I I'm I guess so I mean I also don't really remember him taking too many because obviously Marco Reus is a, considers himself to be a bit of a specialist as well and used to score a couple uh, here and there back in the day but really hasn't too much of late but then you know Sancho had his attempts and Akanji. other players as well <laughs> Akanji didn't have the worst ones to be fair um But I think it's actually the first uh, scored by a left-footed player since Marcel Schmelzer, um, who scored, I think, against Nuremberg and Karlsruhe in the Cup way back when, uh, in terms of free kicks. But yeah, uh, the thing with Guerrero is actually I don't think his performance uh, deserved a great goal that he did score. I mean, he was arguably uh, the weakest link, his Uh, lackadaisicalness in possession and also his lack of uh, tracking back was a huge issue for Dortmund and might become an even bigger issue going forward if uh, Mats Hummels is left-sided centre-back because Hummels cannot cover all the ground that Guerrero is always leaving open. So in a weird way, I think Guerrero, despite being one of the smartest and best footballers on the team, is probably one of the worst fits for the way Marco Rose wants to play. So I wouldn't actually be super shocked if Nico Schulz uh, got a bit of playing time when he comes back, even though Guerrero will be at pretty much full health, uh, unless, you know, he injures himself in international duty again. Yeah, uh, well said. So I was texting back and forth with Abel Messeros, so who was at the game, and around the uh, 60th, 65th minute or so, I was... Uh, noting how I thought uh, tired Dortmund did look, and uh, then he replied to me that Leverkusen actually do look more tired. Maybe I just don't have that much of an eye for it, but uh, Julia, what did happen was a change. We uh, introduced Daniel Marlin for Axel Witzel. Um, I, I guess that helped. He When when he was on the ball, I, I thought he was uh, actually doing an okay job for a substitute. Um, but then, of course, we had uh, moments later, I would say, uh, that... Uh, Yeah, penalty call. Um, do you think there is any uh, discussion of whether it was a penalty or not? I think there could be a discussion about that. Um, it's funny. There's so split. Some people think it's absolutely a penalty and some think it's absolutely not one. Um, it's definitely, uh, Kika described it well with umstritten. So like, uh, I don't even know, disgust. I don't know. Um, cause it's, Controversial. I mean, yeah, he did. 
Yes, controversial. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, definitely did hit Royce in the face and make him bleed, which is a penalty. But at the same time, your hand moves. And with momentum, maybe it's accidental. So I think that was just another moment where the ref had a difficult decision to make and would be yelled at by regardless of which decision he would make in the end. But, you know, it worked out well for Dortmund. And I was pretty sure that Holland was going to miss it because, you know, you always say the ball don't lie. And so I was convinced that Holland was going to miss it because it was a bad call. But he didn't. So clearly it was a correct decision because the ball doesn't lie. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how I would uh, come on to it, but uh, usually I, I would... Uh just measure it with the uh, uh, last Poeman rule of how, how stupid are you uh, to deserve this? And I think it was a no. Uh, yeah. it, it wasn't the smartest move, let's put it this way. Uh, Lars, uh, are you uh, applying your own rule as well there? I don't think I have to because A, you just did it and B, I don't see this decision as controversial whatsoever. Uh, I mean, there's a forcible contact to the head of your opponent and It doesn't matter if that's uh, on your own volition or uh, involuntarily. Uh, if you knock someone in the face like that, uh, shielding the ball, you don't even have to uh, engage with Royce anyway. I mean, the ball is going out. Uh, I don't know what Kosunu was thinking, but it's a clear penalty. And uh, I don't really see how uh, that's a controversial decision outside of, you know, the game state and the game being played at Leverkusen and Royce having a bit of a uh, reputation or used to have, I, I guess is more correct, uh, of, of going down easily. But I mean, the guy was actually bleeding and, and uh, talking heads on German TV were saying that, you know, he was embarrassed himself. Uh, I mean, that's that couldn't be further from the truth. So uh, both by my standards and the standards of the laws of football, that is a pretty clear cut penalty. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, it was a slam dunk penalty, but, uh, you know, just because it is to me doesn't mean it actually is. <laughs> I might be biased every now and then, but, uh, you know, if, if you cut Marco Royce open, <laughs> then uh, I, I think that that should constitute a penalty. Um, as silly as it was, but, um, you know, I really like this aspect of this particular game because it showed us, even though Dortmund often on the road uh, managed to choke, uh, Bayer Neverkusen are pretty big chokers themselves, and uh, this was a classic uh, incident of of choke. So, um, yeah, and uh, you last you, you said earlier that uh, Haaland worked on his headers. I also think he did work on his penalties because that was a very well struck penalty. I mean, uh, Hadetsky did guess the right corner, but uh, still went in. And then, uh, Julia, I leave this one to you. Um, on the scale of one to ten, how epic was uh, that celebration? And uh, would you admonish uh, anyone for breaching COVID protocol by maybe taking sips out of cups? No, that was a ten full send. Great celebration, awesome catch. Nothing wrong with that. You gotta have fun. <laughs> He spit it out. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Well, I, I feel like in a COVID world, it gives me a couple of trepidations, to be honest. But uh, overall, I, I thought the celebration was really cool. And now, um, actually, like after the goal, I think this is uh, maybe the my favorite part of the game, actually. Um, just because um, I think other than Lucas Alario uh, forcing a save of Gregor Kobel, um, there weren't many... Uh, uh, well, actually, there weren't any chances 
at all in, in, in my book afterwards. And um, Lucas Alario had this chance in the 80th minute and uh, we had six minutes of uh, added time. So uh, Lars Dortmund did close out the game uh, with the introduction of Mats Hummels and uh, Marius Wolf uh, at some point. Um, what did you make of uh, the sort of uh, protecting the lead scenario of Dortmund uh, after taking the lead for the first time uh, in the 77th minute? Yeah, I liked it. I think they were proactive. Uh, obviously, the the team selection at that point also lent itself to it. I mean, they had in Daniel Marlin and Erling Haaland um, that might well be the two best counter-attacking players in the entire Bundesliga uh, on the pitch at the same time. And Marco Reus, despite not having you know necessarily the athleticism at this point, just by sheer intelligence is also... Was he still on the pitch? I think so. Yes. Um, so, uh, it They, they had that threat uh, at, at all times. Obviously, Leverkusen, SU and Abel discussed apparently uh, kind of were lacking a bit in in terms of, you know, their freshness, which after an international break and after this kind of game, which, you know, has a lot of uh, influence uh, on, on your body and your mind, uh, is con somewhat understandable. I think it made sense for Dortmund not to... Uh, bring Hummels on as an extra defender, but rather for Pongracic, uh, keeping him uh, at as the right side of centre-back, which Hummels usually doesn't like to play, but made sense in this uh, context. Yeah, I think it was a pretty smart way of defending a lead, but also, as you kind of alluded to, outside of that one Lario chance where Dortmund was still caught out in, you know, lacking uh, Restverteidigung, uh, at least Kobel Uh, got to make a save. I mean, he had a good game and still was beaten three times. Um, other than that, it was fairly easy and, and that was mostly down to, I think, uh, the, the threat that Dortmund posted at all times. Yeah, uh, certainly. And, and, and even, and, and sorry, uh, but Marius Wolf even had the chance to make it uh, five goals and pretty much put the game away. So they were closer to Uh, putting the icing on the cake, then Leverkusen were to getting back into it, I think, after that Alario chance. Yeah, I think this is my biggest positive takeaway. Um, Julia, who impressed you uh, in that stage of the game? Um, Please say Wolf. Yeah. I mean, so uh, last season, I did a loan series article for Fear the Wall, and I was getting so bored because none of them were doing anything. And so I was super disappointed by Wolf and I don't know why they got him back, but it was great. It was fine. He did good. And I'm very proud of him because he no longer disappoints me. So that's very good. He gets a gold star. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe uh, he would have gotten that without the karate shop against DRB. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. That, that was fine. a little silly. It, it was Yeah, it was okay. But, Sometimes uh, you just have to do it. He did waste a lot of time just borrowing the ball around the corner flex, something that Daniel Marlin attempted a couple of minutes beforehand and it didn't go so well. So, um, yeah, kudos for the uh, late-game shithousery that Dortmund, I think, pulled off. And uh, with that, they are now sitting in third place in the Bundesliga. Uh, Wolfsburg still first, Bayern are second, and Dortmund are level on points with Mainz. But, uh, of course, Dortmund are also in third place If you switch the table around and look at the uh, goals against column, which is nine, uh, about as many as Stuttgart have conceded, um, only Hertha and Fürth are worse. Lars, um, this is obviously the greatest worry that Dortmund have, that they are averaging above two goals 
per games uh, that they concede. Um, do you see this changing anytime soon that uh, Dortmund somehow find a way to uh, yeah, sh shut up <laughs> at the back, shut out opponents, etc.? I mean, are you asking me whether they will concede more than 70 goals this season? No, I don't think so. Um, I mean, for for all the issues defensively that they certainly have showed, I think you also have to give credit to the opposition and Dortmund played some pretty decent attacking teams. I mean, uh, Frankfurt haven't scored too much this season, but we all know that they have a lot of uh, attacking prowess even after losing a couple of important players over the last few years. Uh, Hoffenheim is kind of their bogey team. Freiburg has had a strong start to the season and now uh, Leverkusen obviously at home. I think Leverkusen were kind of the arguably the best Bundesliga side up to this point, even better than Wolfsburg. Uh, so taking that into account, obviously Dortmund have shipped a few goals too many, but you then also have to take into account that Dortmund played with Axel Witzel as a centre-back uh, and then uh, with a guy who probably doesn't uh, uh, isn't on first name basis with all his new teammates <laughs> in Bongracic so how did, how did you like them by the way Julia uh, was happy with his performance so was I to be honest uh, apart from maybe the the first goal where it was a bit awkward but you know blame more on Akanji than him but overall first 80 minutes or so 85 yeah I think I think uh, in in that situation you have to look at it in sort of a vacuum and in a vacuum I was very impressed with Bongracic I mean Uh, he looked so confident for a player who doesn't really have a lot of mileage in the Bundesliga over the last few months, uh, being buried on the depth chart of Wolfsburg. Behind Lacroix and Brooks, that's not necessarily like an uh, indictment on his qualities, especially Lacroix, who uh, Dortmund were rumored to be interested in as well. Um, he was confident. He was strong uh, in duels. I mean, the way Schick tried to win penalties off him, that was kind of funny almost because he just kind of uh, bounced against the wall and went down and also Pongracic did well in possession I thought um, you know moving up a bit undribbled as we say in German uh, for center backs that's a, a very important uh, quality to have and I, I definitely am intrigued uh, going forward and I, I thought before the game actually when the, the lineup came out that It kind of looked like a back three setup, but obviously with them not having enough uh, time to practice over the international break with a lot of players not there, that didn't make sense. But I wouldn't be uh, shocked if at some point in the relatively near future we see a back three with Akanji uh, on the left, Hummels in the middle, Pongracic on the right, and using uh, Meunier and Schulz or Guerrero in somewhat more natural positions so yeah i was i was also uh convinced uh by by his first performance and and uh, pleasantly surprised uh yeah and and going back to your initial question i think once things settle down in terms of personnel defensively i think uh it's fairly likely that they are not going to keep on conceding more than two goals a game but i think there's also a case to be made that the setup Rose seems to prefer in the diamond uh, with the personnel Dortmund have available. I mean, Witzel is definitely not much of a shield defensively and Dahoud is a bit error prone in that position. Uh, that lends itself to Dortmund shipping a couple of goals too many, but uh, as long as they score more, I think that's something they can afford and they have the human cheat code in Erling Haaland. So 
for now, that's good enough, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, he has now scored 65 goals and 65 appearances for Borussia Dortmund. Add to that 19 assists. So it's hugely impressive. And uh, yeah, once again, grabbing two goals against Leverkusen. Julia, before we move on to uh, the Champions League, do you have any closing thoughts on this Leverkusen match? Uh, no, I mean, I think y'all said it all. It was, uh, you know, the whole game could just shit house basically the whole thing bonkers. Um, and yeah, I hope the next game won't be as crazy because I don't think any coach likes barn burners, but it was fun. Yeah, Dortmund obviously play in Istanbul now on Wednesday. And uh, before we talk about it, I had a special guest on to preview this game. Uh, already recorded this on Friday, so uh, that was obviously before the Leverkusen game. But uh, without any further ado, here are Sinan Schwarting and myself previewing this game. And now it's time for the UEFA Champions League. As promised, I have a very special guest for the preview of Wednesday's game, the kickoff in Istanbul at the Vodafone Park will be 6.45 Central European Summertime. And uh, I'm uh, very much looking forward to a cracking atmosphere against Besiktas, the team from Pot 4. And to preview this game with me, I am joined by Sinan Schwarting from Besiktas International, host of the Black Eagles podcast. Sinan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on, first of all. Great pleasure <laughs> and honor, an honor, absolutely. <laughs> For everyone who, who didn't witness it, uh, Besiktas became Turkish champions in a very dramatic fashion. I think it was just like on goal difference, right? You had one goal, uh, the, the goal difference was one goal better than uh, the one of Galatasaray. How nerve-wracking was that? It, it was insane. I mean, first of all, especially because we went into the year assuming it was going to be kind of a wash. Um, we had had a couple of, of sort of struggling, you know, difficult years um, leading into it. We didn't make any real flashy transfers, it had seemed. Um, you know, the big moves were Valentin Rosier from Sporting, actually, who's in our group, and Rashid Ghazal, who, who had sort of flopped at Leicester. Um, and we got him on like the very last day. You know, I... I honestly was expecting like third or fourth place on the year and was hoping we could compete for a European spot somehow. But so we took a huge commanding lead, shockingly, into that like maybe like with 10, 10 weeks left. And then just every week another player would get injured. And it was first our striker, Vincent Abubakar. And then just literally like one piece after the next, we were we were like relying on acad academy players for, for a couple of matches in there. Um, I mentioned on on our on my podcast when you asked about him, but Gokan Ture was coming in in, in various positions and, and bailing us out. So it was it was an absolute just I was about to use a bad word. It was it was a it was a terrible time <laughs> and it was very uh, stressful and we were losing matches we shouldn't have and and teams that had nothing to play for were celebrating like they'd won championships just because they'd hit, they prevented us from winning and like you know. There's this tradition in Turkey of clubs sort of paying each other, like paying um, the opponents of rivals to, to, to perform well late in the season. And so there's all these like conspiracy theories floating around. I mean, it was just absolute madness. And we 
just scraped it out by by the skin on our teeth <laughs> in the end. Right. So this is your first time uh, being in the Champions League since the 2017-2018 uh, season, because I think in 2016-2017 you were Turkish champions as well. And that time uh, in Group G, you actually topped that group, right? Uh, I think you beat a, a group with uh, Porto, Leipzig and Monaco, which is very yeah. impressive and, uh, you know, should... Uh, <laughs> Should be heated by any Dortmund fan thinking uh, Besiktas will just roll over. Uh, unfortunately, though, uh, I think you then uh, had the pleasure of meeting Bayern in the round of 16. And uh, that <laughs> right. did not go so well. I think that the first game was like a 5-0 drubbing or so. And then, uh, yeah, the competition was pretty much over. But uh, obviously now in Group C with uh, Ajax, Sporting and of course Dortmund... Uh, Chances are pretty good again for Pod 4 team to maybe upset other group members. Uh, Dortmund are probably hoping that uh, they are not the ones being or getting upset by the likes of Sporting and Ajax and of course Besiktas. So um, that being said, uh, Besiktas are a team that have a couple of players that Dortmund fans know very well. For example, Michi Bacuay. Um You just uh, talked about transfers that are notable or maybe not notable. Um Of course, if you win a championship and you are not uh, the top crop of or top brass of uh, European football, there are always chances that you lose top players. Was it the case for you that uh, you you bleeded some uh, uh, key players from the championship winning side? And uh, are there any players that you've added uh, that uh, you were hoping will help you out big time in this Champions League campaign? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, first of all, so I got to do that. I got to do, there we go. Knock on wood. Um, <laughs> as far as any sort of allusion or reference to, to a dark horse ability on our end, um, given Turkey's last performance in the Euros, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that. Um, no, certainly, um, actually, just a real quick side note, too. You mentioned our 17-18 campaign in the Champions League, which was, of course, historic and i mean it's worth noting that that's our best performance ever getting to the round of 16s and that's like the norm <laughs> for you guys so i'm under no illusions either but um one other interesting point is the year before we had been in the champions league as well and although we didn't really get through we won once and drew four times so we we do have a history of making things annoying and difficult for you folks uh, in the champions league even if we don't have a history of much success. Now, answering your question about transfers, we had, I would say, <clears throat> not to scare you or anything, <laughs> I'm kidding, because obviously we're the smaller side regardless, but we definitely had, I would say, our best transfer window in certainly my, you know, I don't know, 10 plus years of really seriously following Peshik Tush. And it was a, a rather trained, a strange transfer window. First of all, as far as guys outgoing, we only lost... Vincent Abubakar, which at this at the time felt like a huge loss. He left for free to um, Saudi Arabia, I believe. And I mentioned earlier he had gone down with an injury late in the season, and he didn't appear for any of the remaining matches, I think, for the last, like, five or six, maybe more. Um, and so now the, the going theory was that he had already basically signed a contract somewhere else, and if he had played one more match... Uh, uh, a clause would have been triggered and he would have 
um, had like an automatic extension with us. And so a lot of weird conspiracy theories about him leaving, and that really left us in a bad place for a while. But then you mentioned Mishiba Chuai. Um, we got Alex Teixeira, who was uh, from coming in from China, but previous to then played amazingly for Shakhtar. I don't know if you recall. Yes, um, I do. Dortmund had some uh, heated battles with Shakhtar where he featured prominently. Yeah, and he's coming, you know, he's landed on the ground running, so to speak, um, with us. He got his first start in our last match, and he scored the only goal, which we, uh, in a match we ended up winning 1-0. Like, we, we went down a man for the entire second half, so, you know, spirited. Um, uh, but, yeah, so he's already kind of come in, played really well. We managed to re-sign both of last year's guys, Rosier and Gazal. They had been um, loans without options. So we, we kind of convinced them to stick around, I guess, via our play last season and, and their experiences in Istanbul. I think a lot of guys are on the on the fence about coming to Istanbul. Obviously, it's a, it's a big culture change from where most of them are from in Europe or whatever it might be. But um, so, yeah, we've, we've made some absolutely huge moves obviously the biggest one now being Miralem Pjanic uh, who's obviously just alone I he just was bought by Barca for like 16 million so I, I truly doubt there's like an affordable um, option on that con on that loan but nonetheless he seems eager to play for us um, to get playing time at all uh, we have a kind of history with Bosnian players in Turkey so maybe there's a cultural similarity or something. They, they, they seem to enjoy playing in Turkey, so hopefully he'll thrive, and who knows, maybe we'll get another year on his loan or something like that if he does well enough. <laughs> but so, yeah, lots of flashy moves for sure, and lots of interesting Turkish players too. Um, guys on the national team, Kenan Karaman, Salih Uchan, Umut Meraş, they're, they're all guys on the periphery of the national side as well um, who have come in because we have crazy domestic rules about how many Turks have to be on the field and stuff. So... Um, all in all, a very, a very good transfer window for Besiktas. Although still, I think our best eleven, you know, on paper, obviously Dortmund is the best, is the best side in the group. So, you know, Erling Haaland, the best player in the group. So it's not like we're um, catching up to you guys by any stretch. <laughs> Well, I mean, the uh, the players that I know quite well still from Bundesliga days, for example, is, is uh, you one of your centre backs. It's Vida. Uh, uh, Didn't he feature? for uh croatia in the in the euros too yeah regularly now he's for for many years yeah so so he's a player i never really rated but i think uh has improved over the years so um uh i'm i'm quite wondering uh how he will go up against Dortmund's attack but uh before i ask any other questions uh obviously besiktas is not a team that i watch on a regular uh to be to be honest even if they feature in the champions league uh, i very hardly watch them and if I watch them it's probably more with a focus on the team they play against so mm -hmm. um, what kind of playing style do Besiktas practice and uh, how do you expect that to change if at all in the Champions League yeah that's a really good question um, I think it's going to have to change obviously because uh, similarly to you guys in a, on a relative sense right uh I think as Dortmund is to the Bundesliga, Besiktas is to the Super League. And I mean, I suppose we win a little bit more, relatively speaking, because, you know, we don't have any, like, clear-cut 
like Bayern Munich, you know, between Fener and Galatasaray, they sort of take that mantle. Um, Fenerbahce, excuse me. And, um, you know, on the other hand, I think in recent years, we were, you know, threatening the mantle or threatening to take the mantle, I guess. So, like, we, we've had some really good years. Obviously, you guys have had some great years in the Bundesliga, too. Don't don't get me wrong. But um, so, so, yeah, we are typically a dominant side in Turkey and against most domestic sides. We play a very possession heavy mat, a heavy game. Um Fairly fluid in attack historically. Obviously, this year there's a lot of question marks because we have so many new pieces in the attack. Um, so, you know, it's it still remains a question if we can put it all together, if it's going to mesh and gel, especially in time for <laughs> Wednesday. Um, they've had one start as a full unit, and this was in our last league match. And hopefully they'll get the chance again this coming Saturday. We're playing against uh, a side named Yeni Malatyaspor. If anyone's interested, um, I think it's on at uh, one o'clock here in, in the eastern coast of the United States. So check your local listings. But um, yeah, I mean, you'll see, I think that's a good example of the kind of football we play in the league. Uh, we should be the dominant side. We should be very um, dominant as far as possession and and hopefully fluid in attack. You know, Mishi Bachua has been he hasn't found the back of the net yet, but he's been very fluid in connecting players and and, and um, helping the midfield advance forward. We spend a lot of time in the opponent's end of the half. Um, but obviously it's going to be quite different against higher competition. And we tend to play slightly differently against our rivals in, in Turkey, Galatasaray and, and Fenerbahce. So hopefully we can conjure up the same kind of form that we typically do against our rivals, uh, especially with our current coach. He's done really well in those clashes. Um, you know, the derbies. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, like a lot of like when we struggle, a lot of people say, oh, you know, we're actually a better side on the counter. You know, we shouldn't be so reliant on possession. Da, da, da. So, you know, there is a going theory that we're a pretty good side on the counter. And so we could be effective. But obviously, we rarely come against sides as, um, you know, as good as you guys. So, so we, we'll see. It's going to be a big test for our back line. I, with that said, our back line is the one piece of our team that's not undergoing any real changes. And, uh, you know, in a sense, I, I wouldn't say that our strength is our defense because, for example, last season we allowed 19 goals in our first 11 matches <laughs> as we were finding our feet. But with that said, we we did we only allowed 25 goals throughout the rest of the season, and so we became a dominant defensive side through the course of the season. And then again, on the flip side of that, at the end of the season when the pressure was on, granted we had a ton of injuries, but we started leaking goals a bit again. So, you know, defense could either be our strength or our weakness, a weakness depending on, um, you know, how the, how the boys react to pressure, because this is obviously going to be the highest pressure many of them have ever faced. Yeah, obviously, uh, collective defending is uh, very important on Champions League level. And if you have a squad where a lot of players, especially uh, the attackers, are not really, uh, uh, you know, in in tune yet, this can obviously always be a problem. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, are there any obvious weaknesses you can point out, things that Besiktas routinely screw up? Yeah, Um I would say that the left side of our defense, in particular our left back, is considered a weakness. Um, 
we play with a guy named Fabrice Nsakala, who, again, right, like he's almost um, the perfect sort of example of our defense in that when he's playing well, and he had played well for long stretches last season, um, the whole defense seems to play well. But when we make mistakes, you can almost always sort of identify them down his flank. I mean, on the other hand, that, I mean, he's had really strong games and we've had, I mean, typically our biggest weakness is is countering uh, is defending on the counter, rather. Um, we've shown some problems with that, with being broken open by, um, you know, kind of clever long balls from the back. Deep-lying playmaker, uh, you know, effective deep-lying playmaker could probably tear us a new one, so to speak. Um, and I think Gio Reyna might fit that role for you guys, right? But he is injured. out injured for a month, so you won't be concerned with him, really. So yeah, that that could work to our advantage. Although yeah, Mahmoud should be I, the one though. He is he's yeah. uh, probably the the expert for that. So our uh, holding midfielder. But yeah, I yeah. mean, if I look at your defense, uh, Vida is thirty two years old. Wellington is thirty two years old, uh, and Sakala is uh, thirty one years old. So I'm not surprised that uh, a lack of pace uh, <laughs> is a is a thing there yeah. as a theme. So um, yeah. yeah. But uh, let's revert from weaknesses, maybe, and talk about uh, probably one of your biggest strengths. And uh, that comes maybe with an asterisk, because I don't know yet, but maybe you can answer this. Uh, how full will Vodafone Park be? Because, of course, the atmosphere uh, in Istanbul is something that uh, will be crucial on the Champions League night. So um, how are our authorities uh, and the Turkish Health Department, etc., handling such uh, uh, cases? Good question. Um, so it's been something of a debacle thus far. You know, the, they've allowed half admittance. So like half of the stadium can be filled. Normally it's about 40K, half is about 20K. Um, but we have yet to reach 10K because they've rolled out uh, more and more kind of restrictions as far as acquiring vaccines and then uh, requiring two vaccines and requiring two vaccines and then the two-week period, which, again, I don't want to say I'm against it. Safety first, by all means, um, <laughs> you want, especially in Turkey where the the virus has spread. You know, I think they're still struggling with it much, much more there than... Um, I mean, I don't want to say here in the United States. I was just going to say, well. <laughs> camera pans to Florida, uh-uh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, in New York, we're doing quite well. So I, I guess I'm in a bit of a bubble in that regard. But yeah, certainly, like, when you look at Florida or Texas, it's gone much worse. So I think they're they're probably doing better than, than those folks, but uh, worse than us, maybe, here. Uh, um, but so, yeah, you know, I think they're still on the red list, for example, in Europe. Um, I have a friend who is from Scotland, and he's stuck in Turkey because you have to stay at a very expensive um hotel in england when you come back for two weeks or something like that and he's like short on the funds he's like a young guy he's a student so um kind of interesting byline for him there but yeah i mean it's it's a tough it's tough but so i mean in theory i think we could have 20k fans and if we do that i i think 20 twenty thousand besiktas fans can make a lot of noise and i know like timo werner right he had like a headache because of our fans <laughs> once and hopefully it i mean i don't think it'll get to that level although what, maybe what's he's the a max sensitive. capacity in the champions league night just uh, for context 
I, I couldn't tell you the answer to that. I, I don't know if we're restricting to half because of those regulations or if that's if that's local, to be honest. I have no, really I mean, if there weren't any restrictions, what would be the capacity? Um, so, yeah, it's it's above 40,000, 42,590. Um, so it's a sizable stadium, relatively speaking. Um, but, yeah, so at only half, it's it's you know 21,000 or something like that. So, I mean, still, though, it should be a very loud 21,000. We have a very loud supporting group called Charsha, who has like bump, been bumped up in the stadium to a more prominent position, <laughs> maybe because to, to fill the void or whatever it is. So hopefully they'll be able to put on some noise for you guys. But, you know, it won't be the full extent, I guess. That's your benefit. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it would be the same uh, in the Westfalen Stadion. So uh, I, I think everyone has a sort of disadvantage little bit but uh, even you know at half capacity i think you can create an atmosphere which uh, should mm. uh, be okay for champions league night obviously it's always uh, something special and especially if you're besiktas and you do not have it every year then it's even more special so um yeah i'm really looking forward to this game um are there any injury concerns you guys have asking uh, for <laughs> dortmund who right now are plagued with injuries I mean, it looked like we might. Um, I think so. So Alex Teixeira was a little hobbled, but he's <clears throat> excuse me, he's completely re-entered training. He was training on the side for a day or two, but he's now even with the team. So I think, uh, I guess we'll see on Saturday tomorrow uh, from when we're recording. But we'll see on Saturday uh, if if he starts or if they bring him in just to sort of get him going again. But um, that could be one concern. I think Kyle Laren, uh, who is our left winger, might have injured himself with the Canadian national team in their sort of successful little stint here. I'm not sure if you're aware, but Canada might make the World Cup. And we have two guys from the national team on the other side, uh, in Kyle Laren and Atiba Hutchinson. Um, Laren, though, I think might have been injured in this last stint, so he might not be available to us. He's sort of... Uh, He's not always the starter. We also have George Kevin and Kudu. Um, they kind of alternate. So it's not like that's not like a terrible loss for us. But, you know, nonetheless, obviously you want to be full strength against Dortmund. Kyle Lahren scored 18 goals for us last season. Um, I think offhand. So we're, it's, we're, it's a bit of a loss. No, no doubt about it. But on the other hand, we didn't have Michi Bachuay and Alex Teixeira and stuff. So, um, you know. Those are the guys we'd probably look to for scoring now anyway. So no major losses. Um, you mentioned you have some, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's a very long list. And uh, <laughs> I, I hope it hasn't uh, become longer since today, since we're recording before the game against Leverkusen. So uh, obviously there could still potentially, uh, you know, some, some injuries added to that. But uh yeah, I think that's a, a nice way to wrap things up. Uh, I'll ask you for scoreline prediction, if you don't mind. And then right. if you have anything to plug or just want to say where people can follow you on Twitter or subscribe to your podcast, uh, you have the mic. Wrap it all up. Sure. Um, well, first of all, I want to start by <clears throat> thanking you for having me on. And add, you know, I didn't really expound much on this, but uh, for your listeners, I think it's worth mentioning, you know, as a Besiktas fan, quarter German through my history and all that. You know, I, I'm not like a, I don't, I don't know a ton about the Bundesliga. It's only just becoming available for us to watch here in the United States, <clears throat> which I look forward to. 
But historically, Dortmund has been my favorite side in, in Germany. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast. I really love the kind of reputation they have, the history they have of developing players and kind of being intelligent with scouting. And, uh, you know, in this tide of oil magnates um, and, you know, Americans and stuff buying clubs and running them into the ground and using them as, as like uh, doll playthings, basically. I've always really appreciated clubs like Dortmund, IX. You know, it's it's a little humbling, to be honest, to face both of you guys, you know, two clubs that have historically done it the right way. Um, so uh, let me put that out there, first of all. Congratulations to you guys <laughs> for, for, you know, not selling out, I guess. <laughs> conceptually um now uh as far as what i expect i mean honestly after last season just being in europe being in this group stage was kind of already the icing on the cake i didn't even think we'd get to win a championship much less play in europe um with that said with all these moves we've made guys like pianic and batshuayi and <clears throat> alex teixeira and like you know fortifying the team with depth even uh, now I would say, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't be like completely heartbroken if we just fell out of the group and fourth, because obviously that's what I, I would imagine that odds makers have us pegged for. But I would, I really like, I hope a that we remain competitive, no embarrassments like we've had in, in years past. I'm not gonna <laughs> speak on specifics. Um, <clears throat> so I hope we really, you know, make a good name for ourselves as far as looking like a team that's not to be trifled with. Um, I, I, you know, I'd love to get a top two spot, but that, you know, I, I think realistically you and Ajax are probably the ones that are going to do that. But, you know, if someone else breaks into there, I hope it's us rather than sporting. Um, but yeah, I would, I would be very pleased with a third place finish, honestly, and the chance to continue on into the Europa League. Cause I think we have enough talent now that it would be fun to see them get that chance to, to perform. And the Europa League is probably more realistic of a, of a level for them. But at the same time, you know, who knows? Like we've we've pulled off some minor miracles in the past. So who, you know, I, I don't want to say that like not getting through is impossible because really, we, you know, it's a very fun group with great fan bases all around and um, anything can happen, I think. Um, finally, as far as my plugging anything, I don't have any projects or, you know, writing things going on at the moment. Um, so yeah, just follow us on the podcast if you want to, uh, get updated on Besiktas news with the Black Eagles podcast um, at Eagles underscore podcast on Twitter <laughs> or just Black Eagles podcast on uh, Instagram. Follow myself, Sinan, uh, at Sinan Schwarten for the Germans out there. You might recognize my name. Um, at Sir underscore writes underscore a lot. Uh, Sir writes a lot. Who <laughs> 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 wants to put that together? Uh, so yeah, that's how you can find me on Twitter, and uh, I'm all about Besiktas, pretty much over there, I'd say. Yeah, awesome. Sinan uh, Schwating, ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for your time, and uh, now I will uh, bring it back to the show to uh, discuss the Borussia Dortmund perspective of that match. Until then. And we're back. It's the last Poeman, Julian Poblotsky and Stefan Butzko here at the Yellow Wallpot. And now to preview the Besiktas game a little bit more from the Borussia Dortmund perspective. 
obviously, it's going to be a fun one, uh, I feel. Julia, looking ahead, uh, who do you think will start, uh, considering that Dortmund will play against Union Berlin on Sunday and have played against Leverkusen? Do you think this is a must-win for Dortmund since it's a pot four team, or do you think it's uh, not a must win because uh, Istanbul can be scary sometimes? Um, I mean, I think every game is kind of a must win because uh, I want to win all the time. But <laughs> I think also, um, I mean, yes, Besiktas can be intimidating and it is in Istanbul, which definitely adds to it. But it is a pot four and Dortmund just is better. Like I look at the Besiktas roster and I think the only player I know is Batshuayi. So I think even if they give some players a rest, it should still be a win and they probably will give, give some players a rest. But interesting, who? <laughs> like, I, Witzer, he can take a break, but then I'm also like, I don't know who to put in because everyone's injured and they're just dropping like flies. And you can't even call up players from the U23 because that injury list is also ridiculous. And the U19 also have injuries that Gilputz is on the bench. But I don't know, I'd take Witzer out because there's not much more you can do. I mean, Homers isn't ready to start yet, um, Delaney is gone. Just, I don't know. Just, I say screw it, play just three defenders and, uh, what would that be? Seven offensive players and just try to score 10 goals and it'll be fine. Yeah, Lars, I think this is a valid concept. Uh, do you have another one? Do you have a better suggestion? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to take Witzel out, you just put Marlin in the starting lineup, play uh, basically the uh, setup that they used on Saturday for the last uh, 25 or so minutes. So with Brandt as the usually left-sided eight, uh, Royce in the hole and Marlin in the hole on starting up front. I think Mukoko uh, should be available for selection as well. Uh, he scored a lot of goals for the under-21 national team, so he's one of the few players who probably made the best of the international break. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's early in the season. Uh, nobody played too many minutes for their national team, so I don't necessarily think that you know a big rotation is warranted. I think if you look at the Union game, uh, Union obviously play in the UEFA or Europe Conference League or however that, that is called. So for Union, uh, it's the first real international game ever, uh, the first English Woche ever. So uh, well, I mean, I don't necessarily know how uh, when, when they played their uh, playoff games to actually qualify for this, but I mean, it's the first group stage game of the, the, the club's history and Given, given all that, I don't know that necessarily you have to take that into account uh, in the middle of September. So any changes would be, you know, uh, minuscule. So maybe Witzel out just because you like Dahoud better as the defensive midfielder in the diamond. I'm not necessarily sure Hummels can start uh, because that was obviously rumored ahead of the Leverkusen game. And you know, take it from there, I think... Uh, the 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 fear factor for Istanbul, I think that's a bit overblown. I mean, Timo Werner having trouble uh, in front of the Besiktas crowd is one thing, but now it's a COVID crowd, so I'm pretty sure it's not going to be full capacity. And even so, Dortmund players are used to a bit more noise than Timo Werner and Leipzig players, so I'm not necessarily 
convinced that Dortmund will, you know, be scared of anything Besiktas can do to them. And ultimately, uh, it's an away game in the Champions League, so I would be uh, hesitant to call it a must-win. And looking back at last year, I think they lost the first did the Champions League opener away to Lazio and still didn't have too many issues uh, making it out of the group. And this group isn't, you know, stronger than last year's, I would argue. So I'm kind of a bit more relaxed than, you know, a lot of other people will probably be. But that might also just be down to my not necessarily thinking the Champions League is the be-all, end-all. Yeah, also uh, you're saying this with the resting pulse now uh, on a Monday. <laughs> We'll we'll see how uh, that notion will change uh, once the ball is rolling at Vodafone Park. Um, Julia, I don't really have too many other things to say on this game because I don't know what the team news necessarily will be. Um, are there aspects of Dortmund you want to see and don't want to see uh, in, in this particular game? Uh, do you want them to, for example, uh, show a certain maturity uh, like they did in the later stages of the Leverkusen match and, uh, you know, try to sort of uh, play a very calm performance or do you think they should go all gun uh, go out and, and really pressure Besiktas from, from the get-go and uh, play high-octane football? Um, I really, I just don't want them to be defensively stupid like they were at the start of the Leverkusen game. Uh, that would be a good thing. And then I think it's just seeing what Besiktas does. Like if Besiktas sits back, then yeah, Dortmund can go and attack them. Um, but I mean, keeping the game calm is always the best idea. Make sure you're in control. But if the game elevates to just being, you know, like another shithouse game like the Leverkusen was, then they definitely should counter that. So I think it's just sit back, see what Besiktas does and then just match them because I know they can. So they should just do it and win and easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So uh, uh, it's time for scoreline predictions now. Uh, Lars, you may go first. How do you think the game on Wednesday night will end? I mean, I'm positive. I know two players of Besiktas, uh, Batshuay and Miral Pjanic. You also know Gokhan Türe. Yeah, I do. Okay, it's three now. Uh, <laughs> but I wasn't sure because I didn't know he played for Besiktas. Um <laughs> So, I mean, I anything think you also I know Teixeira because Dortmund faced him when he was still at Shakhtar. Okay, Stefan. <laughs> Do you just want to give me the, the, the team news for them or can I make my <laughs> point now? Which is any prediction I make will be taken out of my ass. Uh, so, I'm going for a one-all draw. All right, let's disinfect that first, uh, Julia. Um, my first thought was a 2-1 win and the one goal will be by Batshuayi because, of course, it would be. Well, I mean, after I was a big proponent for the curse of the X going into the Leverkusen game, uh, it would be uh, very uh, stupid to not uh, pick a Batshuayi goal. But uh, nevertheless, I'm going for a 2-0 win for Dortmund. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know why, contrary to all the evidence at hand, that I think we'll see a mature performance and uh, Dortmund taking just care of business and then moving on to the Union game. Um, but yeah, uh, moving on is uh, also right because uh, there is another game we have to discuss and it was the very first uh, competitive fixture for Borussia Dortmund Frauen and uh, I'm very glad uh, this was an instant success. Uh, I mean, 
Firstly, I think we can just discuss that uh, there were uh, 1,625 visitors in the Stadio Rote Erde. And um, that, I think, on this weekend was the uh, female football game with the most uh, people in attendance in, in Germany. So that's a really good success. Um, it was obviously an 8 nothing win against BV Brambor, who I think are also a newly founded team. Julia, you wrote about this game for uh, Fear the Wall and uh, have watched the full 90 minutes. So have I, uh, only real life to be honest. But uh, nevertheless, uh, it, it was a fun game, very dominant. What uh, can you report from uh, this first match? Yeah, so um, BV Brambor, they are a new team, um, but they were new two years ago so they just haven't played a competitive match because of a pandemic so new in apostrophes but you know pretty much um and yeah i mean it was a great game um the so obviously i watched some of the women's friendlies games too when they were leading up in their training camp and stuff and how they've improved in their cohesiveness and their communication and how passes are actually making it to their players It's improved a lot, and it's really nice to see. Um, and, I mean, you could expect that Dortmund rolls over some of these teams simply because most of their roster comes from higher levels. Um, but, I mean, even still, you know, it, mistakes happen. But uh, what I enjoyed most about the game is that I lost, uh, I lost count of how many corners there were because there were, like, 10 corners for Dortmund in the first 20 minutes, and I think we were well into the mid like mid 20s by the end of the first half and i think by the end of the game there were like definitely like 30 or 40 corners it was ridiculous um but i you know good practice and uh defensively Dortmund was also really good Bramboa didn't have a single shot on goal uh not even a shot the only touches that the goalie Schrua had were when there was a back pass to her. So, I mean, all in all, it was a great game. Um, lots of chances. Of course, Ann-Kathrin Lau scored. Uh, I don't think you could keep her off the score sheet for a long time. Uh, it was good to see the captain, Lisa Kleeman. She got a goal too, which is very deserved. She's a very steady presence. And uh, I think a shout-out also goes out to Hannah Gossmann, who she's 17, and she scored, I believe it was two goals, And she almost had another one. So just all in all, great performance. Uh, really happy that it was a win because a loss would be really sad. Um, and I'm looking forward to their Kreisbokai match and then the rest of the season. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Dortmund, uh, I, I think they're mostly streaming the um, the home games because uh, it's it might be a little tricky to also stream away games. But nevertheless, uh, I thought the stream was really uh, uh Well done. I actually, uh, when I watched it real life, I didn't uh, watch the Twitch stream, but uh, sort of the stream they streamed on Twitch, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, the... I was watching the soccer watch screen stream too. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice, uh, nicely done. Um, obviously, there wasn't any commentary, but uh, uh, I don't think that's really necessary. I mean, you uh, obviously want to hear a bit of background information because uh, in case like me, I don't know uh, most of these players yet, to be honest. Um, 
But uh, yeah, Anna Zabel did score uh, the first goal, the first competitive goal, uh, which I guess is historic <laughs> uh, yes. in the nature. She she did uh, grab a brace actually because she also scored the uh, seven nothing before Lisa Kleeman scored the eight nothing right at the death of mm -hmm. the game. And uh, yeah, I don't think Hannah Guzman scored a brace. Uh, but yeah, uh, I just looked again. It was only one goal. I remembered that wrong. There were two braces though. Vanessa Heim. It was her birthday, and she scored two goals. So that was a great birthday for her, I bet. Yeah, and there were some uh, amazing goals as well. Uh, especially the the curlers from distance were uh, really fun to watch. Oh, yeah. So, um, obviously, uh, Dortmund are starting in Kreisliga A, Gruppe 2. Uh, I don't even know what division that exactly is, Lars. Um, you are uh, maybe a bit more in tune with how uh, German amateur football works than I do. Um, do, you, do you know how to uh, sort of count up the divisions you have to go through until you are uh, at the very top of the uh, Bundesliga in, uh, in Frauenfußball? Putting you on the spot here, if you uh, don't know, but I'm sorry. There's the Bundesliga, the first division. There's a second Bundesliga, second division. Uh, there is, I think, a Regionalliga as the third division. Uh, and then I don't really know, but, you know, the, the, the first promotion would be into the Bezirksliga, which I'm assuming is going to happen this season because obviously Dortmund having recruited uh, players far too good for the Kreisklasse uh, shouldn't have too many issues, even though it's a new, newly built team. Uh, I mean, obviously they have, they, they don't pay the players, uh, which makes sense because it's, uh, you know, amateur football in, in, in a sense, but they have uh, the most professional training facilities and equipment and they went on like a, a preseason event tour kind of thing. So it's, They, they are playing against uh, women who do this all for fun and, and don't have the ambition that Dortmund have. So anything other than a series of promotions over the next few years would be disappointing in a way. Um, actually, I was one of the... When when the the club had this... Uh, survey? Umfrage. Yeah, they, they, they did a survey with fans what they wanted and the... There was the option, uh, do you want them to start in the, at the lowest level or do you want them to cooperate with someone else and, and take their license and start higher up the ranks? I actually wanted them to start higher up just because I think what Dortmund can do for the uh, professionalization, if that's a word, of, of uh, women's football in Germany outweighs the, the, the positives of you know starting at, at the grassroots level, uh, which this basically is. But seeing... Um, I didn't watch the game, but still seeing uh, these uh, women who grew up as Dortmund fans, who grew up around uh, basically Dortmund. I mean, they didn't recruit from too far outside. Seeing them... Yeah, I think 35-kilometer radius was sort of one of the yeah. parameters they uh, added to the recruitment. And and basically, these, uh, the, these women and girls, they live out the dream that we all had. I think everybody who's listening and... and talking on this show basically means we are Dortmund fans in, in one way or another and when we were young we all had the the dreams of wearing black and yellow and scoring goals for this club so uh, it, it's just great to see that finally after so much effort from the organized fan scene uh, who deserve all the credit for it and not the club uh, it, it's just great to see that finally Dortmund have uh, 
arrived in the 21st century and and have a, a women's football team and i'm i'm sure the the best thing to me would be if if this wasn't just the novelty factor of you know what however many fans you said were in the stadium i think there's a pretty decent chance that the the capacity will be pretty much filled in all the home games just because you know it's it's proper dortmund football it's not just a novelty it's not just dortmund having a, a women's team it's It's a part of the club now, and I think uh, it's been long overdue. Yeah, I mean, they are going to invest. I think Runachichten broke it today. Uh, the club will invest. I don't know if it's in partnership with the city or just Dortmund, but they will invest about two million euros into Stadion Rote Erde to modernize the pitch, meaning uh, I don't know what Rasenheizung means in English, but... Uh, I, I, uh, heated grass? Yeah, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Something that usually so the, only like Minnesota would have. <laughs> yeah, no, every every uh, professional football pitch has that in, in Germany. So the pitch doesn't freeze over basically uh, in, in the winter, uh, for example. And I don't know if uh, drainage will be implemented. Uh, so if it rains, there are not uh, large puddles. Uh, I mean, overall, the it pitch... It needs it. Yeah. Rote Erde is a sketch pitch. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've run across that field many times because uh, when I was uh, a kid, I did track and field and uh, many of those tournaments were held at that stadium. Oh, yeah. My dad was a decathlete in Dortmund. He did all the levels with all the trophies and he tells me horror stories about that track and the grass and how just beat up it all is. <laughs> It is, but at the same time, it has a lot of charm, and I really love the stadium. Oh, yeah. um, being there is, to me, just really being at home. Uh, I mean, I, I also had the pleasure of growing up right next to it, basically. It's, uh, well, not right next to it, but it's about a 10-minute walk or so. Uh, so in terms of uh, sports facilities, uh, the stadiums, and the Helmut Körning Halle, which is just uh, uh, next door, is probably the closest to me. Uh, maybe... Um, Uh, the the tennis club is a little nearer and I don't know Rotweiss Barob nah it's probably further away anyway uh, before I go off on a tangent uh, Julia how do you think uh, the decision went of implementing this really at the grassroots level and not trying to uh, you know get, go the Red Bull Leipzig way if you will or uh, just you know trying to get a license uh, from, from a team higher up and uh, naming it Borussia Dortmund Yeah, I was going to mention Leipzig and say that, I mean, of course, it like it's completely understandable that Dortmund would want to start at a bit of a higher level just because you draw more people in and you can do more. But it was also have some serious Leipzig vibes and we don't want that because that's just a whole mess. And so I do think it is a good decision to start at the bottom, really work your way up. Um, I just really hope that the hype around this team lasts. I mean, I think it will go down a little bit just because like this was the first game, but I, I feel like because it is Borussia Dortmund that the hype around the women's team will last them through this, like what I think they said 10 years until they make it to the Bundesliga, um, you know, working up the eight tiers. I hope that the hype stays there and that the fans will keep coming to the games, even when, you know, there's crappy weather in the middle of November and it's not as nice as it was Uh, yesterday. So I understand why I started at the bottom. I like that they start at the bottom. Um, it's just more true that more like feels more real. 
So I think it's good. And I'm just happy that there's finally a team. Um, I remember my cousin, she's really good at soccer. And I was teasing her that she just has to be so good that she can play on the men's team because there's no way she could play for any other team but Felicia Dortmund. And I'm glad that now there is a women's team that all the girls, they can dream of actually playing for Borussia Dortmund and don't have to think about playing for, I don't know, Bochum or Schalke <laughs> or whatever team there is. Yeah, uh, obviously right now Dortmund do sit in second place uh, because Yildiz Derne uh, <laughs> pounds their opponent 17-0. Uh, not a good day in the office for Luna, I saw <laughs> in the Kreisklasse no. But uh, yeah, um, I'm uh, uh, I'm really happy um, Dortmund finally have done this step. Um, I'm I'm a little bit torn because uh, at the same time I don't feel like I want to wait ten years uh, to until Borussia Dortmund make it to the Bundesliga. Um, but uh, you know. To be honest, I think they should have just started this process way sooner. And uh, as Lars just said, it's big, big credit to the uh, organized support. And uh, I, I feel like Dortmund really had to be dragged by the by the ears or toes or heels or whatever you call them uh, to 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 get this kicked off. So um, yeah, uh, if you want to. Um, hear more about that uh please give julia a photo julia uh what is your twitter account uh, it's j poblo <laughs> <laughs> i didn't feel like writing my whole last name that was too much work <laughs> yeah fair enough <laughs> uh do you have uh any other things you want to plug other than um, of course you feel the wall no, column not Yeah, just fear the wall. I do a weekly hive update. Used to be baby bees, but now we have a hive because we have, you know, our queen bees of the women's team. Uh, so, yeah, you can just check that out. You can check out the whole site. And then I'm on Twitter. Sometimes you might see me talk about the flyers. Uh, that probably will be the most depressing tweets you'll see, though. <laughs> oh, really? Are the uh, flyers the Philly team that depresses you the most? Uh, I'm probably out of the Philly teams. I'm probably the biggest Flyers fan because I like ice hockey a lot. And so, yes, they crush my heart almost every game they play. I absolutely hate them, but I love them as well. Okay. Well, they have a fun mascot. So there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gritty is the love of my life. Yeah. Uh, well, I still, I still prefer the Philly fanatic if I'm honest. But, uh, you know, uh, before we go off on a tangent, Lars, uh, it's time for you to tell people uh, where to follow you on the Internet. Are you sure you don't want to talk about tennis clubs again and, and whatever sporting grounds were closest to your home? <laughs> yes, no. <laughs> I mean, if if anybody uh, listens to episode 390 and doesn't know where the regular panelists are to be found on Twitter, then it's your loss, but you can find me at Lars Polman. <laughs> Very well. And uh, well, I'm, I'm just doing it so people can hear your voice for one last time before we end the show, Lars. <laughs> But uh, yeah, you can follow me at Stefan Butzko. You can follow all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do that on YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, etc. cetera, uh, wherever you can get podcasts. And if you can't find it uh, where you want it to find, then just, you know, drop me a DM or whatever, and I'll try to fix that. And uh, if you want to contribute financially uh, after such a long-winded episode, go to patreon.com slash Wall. Uh, my thanks once again go out to Julia for making her Yellow Wallpot debut and of course to you, dear listeners, for tuning in yet again. And we shall be back with a review of the Besiktas game and a preview of the Union Building game. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>